Hey guys, welcome back to the Echo Podcast. So this is a very exciting podcast episode. Uh, Radhan and I sit down with Canva Global Lead and Product Leader, Laura Haynes. Now, Laura is incredibly accomplished in her career, having started out as a software engineer at JP Morgan after graduating university, then working in numerous product management roles at companies around the world, before joining Canva as a product leader and global lead. We sit down with Laura to discuss what it was like transitioning from engineering to product management and the motivation behind her choice, what it's like working at a rapidly growing company like Canva, as well as getting an insight into the company culture, her experiences at JP Morgan, what it's been like working in numerous cities around the globe, and discussing how to find one's career niche, and much more. We hope you guys enjoy the episode. Uh, hey everyone, uh, welcome back to another episode of the Echo Podcast. Uh, just to introduce myself and my co-host, uh, I'm Ryan, and I'm joined here by Radhan. Hello. And uh, we're both a part of the media team this year. Uh, so today we're joined by a very special guest, Laura Haynes from Canva. Uh, we're very lucky to have her on the podcast, and we're keen to discuss with her the theme of finding your career path or niche. I'll uh, let her introduce herself. Hey there, thanks so much for having me. Very happy to be here and chatting with you both and uh, your audience today. My name is Laura Haynes. Um, I'm one of the product leads at Canva. I've been working in product management for a number of years, um, but my actual background is software engineering. My degree back in the UK many moons ago. Awesome. Um, so yeah, just obviously for a lot of computer science or software engineering students, um, I feel like product management may be a job that a lot of students aren't sort of familiar with. So do you want to maybe give a quick introduction to what is product management? Absolutely. So product management basically involves uh, taking ownership of deciding if a product should exist to meet a business need, um, how it exists, how it interacts with the users, and taking it right through from concept and tying to that business strategy right through the entire life cycle of the product making sure it launches successfully and it continues to grow uh, and develop and meet user needs and business needs. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I guess our first question is sort of how did you get sort of drawn to the world of, of product management? Sort of what sort of drew you into that, that field or that job? And so I think a lot of the questions we tend to get asked is like, how do you, how do you get into it? Do you do a course? Is there mm. kind of entry level? And that's not always necessary necessarily the path. Um, traditionally, people have come from different backgrounds, whether that's business or tech or design, um, and you kind of come into it. So in my case, I did engineering at university, I then was a developer for a number of years. Um, and then I came to realize that on the development team, I was one of the few people who could actually talk to the customer, which uh, at the time was uh, people on the trading floor in the investment bank. And I would go and figure out what their needs were, come back and develop it with the team. And it kind of evolved from there. And I moved into like classic project management. So taking a task from start to end. Um, and then over the years, really enjoyed the fact of taking it beyond that end point. And like, how do you really take the next steps? What does it mean for the business? Are you talking to all the different people that are involved? Um, and that's where like a lot of product managers you probably talk to, they end up doing the job 
without it having that label until someone kind of points out that that's actually the role they're playing in the business. Mm -hmm. um, and then they go, oh, I'm a project ma a product manager now. Um, yeah, so you mentioned how you started off with engineering. So that was sort of your first, first job outside of, of university. Sort of what sort of motivated your choice to pivot from, from software engineering to, to product management? Was there any sort of uh, choice or motivation behind that? It never felt like a pivot, to be honest. It was always just a natural evolution. Um, as right. I said, like doing the development, working with the team, even as a product manager, you're working with an engineering team, figuring mm -hmm. out how to build things and how to build them in the best scalable, most valuable way. Um, so it was never like uh, I'm leaving the company and going yeah. off to chase a different dream. It was yeah. just you're maybe approaching it in different ways. You're playing a slightly different role within that team concept. It's, it's more an evolution and a growth and the slight different path I took, but never, never really a pivot. Right, okay. Um, would you say like, I know we've, we've sort of talked with other, other product, management, uh, product managers and they've said that uh, sometimes their, their choice to switch from engineering is because of the fatigue of, of programming, a fatigue of engineering. Was there anything like that with you or was it just you wanted something, you thought it was a, something an enticing enticing job to go into um it was just more of an enticing job that met um my personality my strengths and yep. uh, i suppose weaknesses as well mm. like everyone whether they become this like super in-depth super technical expert yep. or they become a manager or they change and move into a different role um it's more just where you see your growth and your development and where you want to move I know there have been some people I've worked with in the past that have had that fatigue, but I think that's usually because of the company or they're maybe bored because they're not being stretched enough yep. rather than like programming is not for them, although it is mm. in some cases. Mm. So, yes, you mentioned how it felt like a pretty natural uh, transition from engineering to product management. Was there much sort of upskilling involved with that change? Yeah. Um, Initially, my change was from engineering to project management, um, which th there's a lot of overlap, but um, being told in the past in something I use as a, a common analogy is a product manager is someone that decides they're going to have a kid and they decide that they're going to make themselves or their partner go through a pregnancy or an adoption and then they have to look after that kid for their entire life and figure out how it grows. Uh, a project manager is the midwife. They yep. come in, yep. they've got a job to be done, and they make sure everything's delivered on time, so to speak. <clears throat> so I, I did the project management piece first, and okay. it was still a huge amount of upskilling because it's a whole craft into itself, and you're working slightly differently with a team. You have different responsibilities, and, and the same with the engineering as a craft, project management is, and product. Um, I think the biggest change, though, is understanding those team dynamics, mm. personalities, and what really drives and motivates people um, to produce something amazing together. Awesome. So you mentioned how like there was a lot of upskilling required, and it was a big change um, for you. But do you think your technical background with your software engineering helped you with that change? Definitely. Um, I've even spoken to people recently who have been like, the way through engineering degrees or internships and said should I just forget it because it's not maybe what I want to do long term 
And for me personally, it stood me in amazing stead. I mean, I can work with extremely technical teams or I can work with less technical teams. Um, it doesn't put me out of my depth so much. Like they're still the experts in leading that. They've still been tightening uh, their craft. They've still been doing it for many more years than I ever did. But it really helps with that. It helps me understand things. It also helps me translate for other people. And I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that in terms of if you're asked something and maybe even by a family member can explain it in more kind of easy to digest terms, whether that's with someone in the design team or uh, a stakeholder, maybe that's an external company. It's really helped me. Um, yeah, and just understanding like how systems work processes yeah. even knowing how long it can take to code something other people if they've not had that background might think it's just going to take you a couple of minutes or an hour and yeah. realize yeah. it's a huge change or a big ask yeah um did you see yourself as a kid going into this field or or branching off into project management when you were younger i actually really struggled when i was younger to figure out what i wanted to do yeah. Um, in school, everyone had these kind of classic jobs that they'd wanted to do. I was never sure. So what I did throughout school and high school was just stuck with the subjects that I enjoyed the most. Um, and I did that right into university as well. If I felt yeah. passionate about it, I tended to do better in it as well. Um, and I invested more time. So I stuck with computing in high school. I went in to do software engineering. I actually found a love for math in, in university that I never had in high school and yeah really specialized and uh, heaven forbid I never thought I'd come to love Java. There we go <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, looking back I think I've landed in my most perfect job. I never could have predicted it or even maybe understood it without doing the role. So you would say that you didn't really have a clear path like during university it wasn't until you actually started working as a software engineer that you realized project management may be the career for you yeah yeah it wasn't until i was in the industry i think once you're in your first job and um, your eyes are opened much more to the different types of roles the different kind of parts you can play within a business and even if you change industry the, the company dynamics changed massively as well. Yeah. So even um, I may love being, have loved being a project manager in certain companies. Maybe if I went to something far more corporate now, I would hate it because they view it in a slightly different way. Um, but now it's, I think, getting that experience. Even um, I did an internship and that really helped me understand more of what I loved and what I didn't love. You mentioned how you may have maybe project management is a pro perfect job for you now, but do you think this is your niche or do you still think that there's a lot of change to come? I think this is my niche. I think the level of complexity will always change. The products that you're looking after will always change. Um, you're always learning. You never, ever get bored or complacent. Um, but the thing I've come to realize is niche is definitely translating the needs of the user or the stakeholders into something that's actually of value to users and the company. 
able to translate strategy for other teams um, and doing that whole communication piece around it all in uh, a technical world. Like, would you have any, any advice for, say, a uni student who's maybe going to graduate soon and they, they know they, they like programming, they like engineering, they're going to go into it maybe for a, a job straight after, but they're still a bit hesitant about how long they might, you know, do engineering for and they're, they're, they're open to sort of other roles beyond just uh, software engineering. Do you have any advice for those sort of uni students that are sort of a bit sort of hesitant with their sort of career path, I guess you could say? Yeah, my biggest piece of advice would be get as much information as you can, whether that's uh, volunteering to work for companies to help create a small app, or whether that's talking to as many people as you can at meetups, um, reaching out to people on LinkedIn just to ask them questions. People are quite open, um, whether it's being able to get internships, grad schemes, um, don't jump around jobs for jumping around sake, but be that sponge. It's like watch YouTube videos, there's so much out there that will help you gain perspective and, and help you like narrow what it is you want to do. Awesome. Okay, so sort of stepping away um, and going towards more sort of the day in the life uh, of your job. Um, looking at your LinkedIn, it says you're the uh, global lead uh, for Canva for partnerships and products. Could you maybe explain sort of what what that what it entails? What what is a global lead for Canva? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we are now in so many markets and so many languages across Canva that. We're constantly having to think about global rather than just um, local. So we still um, hold a massively dear place in our heart for Australia. The global aspect of it is both from a user perspective and also from our team perspective. I mean, I have teams working across the company um, and the, the partnership piece of Canva and the partnership products that we have um, help our websites like FedEx and Office Depot um, and some more kind of secret ones to come that we've got in the works as well. Um, but we are basically doing two things at Canva. Can we partner with people to make the Canva experience even better? And can we partner with people to make their users' experience even better? Canva's editor um, makes the creation of a design much nicer than a lot of other websites. So why don't they pull Canva into that user flow? Um, it will help their users, it will help their revenue, and it will get Canva known as well. So I lead the charge across that from print partners and digital partners, and then also within our Canva print products, so anyone can come to Canva and uh, get anything and have it delivered to their door. Um, so yeah, would you maybe be able to sort of um, describe sort of what sort of occupies an ideal day uh, in your job? So what, so what sort of yeah occupies most of your time? What what does an, an ideal day look like? Yeah, I mean, it sounds really cliche, but absolutely no two days are the same. I would say an ideal day would be starting my mornings on calls with partners and talking about deals, talking about the needs they're facing or even the, the insights they have from their users. Um, then maybe during the middle of the day, coming back with the team, talking through like our roadmaps, all the products they're working on, helping fix any of their blockers. And tying right into like what's the strategy in the next six to twelve month roadmap for us, um, right through to interviewing many amazing people. Um, I'm lucky enough to be across um, product marketing, 
uh, engineering, product, design, sales, the, the entire spectrum within the business. So we're trying to fill all these roles and figure out the, the growth plans. Um, and then my day can even be full of chatting with like our SEO teams who are actually driving traffic to Canva and then meeting up with the different specialties as well to make sure we're all aligned and going Canva in the right way. Would you say, um, yeah, because of uh, COVID, um, has there been much sort of impact towards your job, much change in your sort of day to day? Yeah, I, I would say the biggest uh, change, apart from the fact that we obviously can't travel and see each other as much, um, would just be the way we're working. We've had to go fully remote. And we're starting uh, to loosen some of that back up just now, but we literally had to turn it around in one day. The entire company, which is over 900 people, um, working from home, and we were quite a office-heavy kind of work environment, so that was a big change for us. And thankfully, we've been using a lot of remote tools like Slack and Zoom and things, so that wasn't too much of a steep learning curve. Definitely adapting to. Do you still make sure you have those connections with each other? How are you making sure you're collaborating together, and without mm. actually physically being in the same room or meeting space? Yeah, was definitely the impact. So obviously, as you described, you're sort of talking with both um, customers or clients, but also the technical teams within Canva, um, and being a product manager or being your sort of guess the in between um, between the two parties. Um, how do you find sort of talking to both or sort of finding the, the common language between both groups and sort of being that sort of, yeah, middle person? Yeah, I really, really enjoy it. I think it was something I identified quite early on as uh, both a uh, nice strength that I can always improve, but a good strength to have um, as well as something I really enjoy. Seeing people explain something and enjoying the fact when people have like a blank look on their face, but being able to understand it and realize if you reframe it in a certain way, you can really help uh, accelerate a conversation is something I really enjoy. And then also the more uh, minds and differences of opinions and different approaches you get to a solution, I think the stronger that solution is. So if we have a salesperson coming in and they're very business-minded, sales-driven, and they're the voice of the partner, their opinion is completely valid. How do we yep. balance that with how complex is this to build? How do we maintain it? How do we scale it? That marrying of all those minds makes it really exciting. So, like, we talked briefly about your job and what you do at Canva, but let's talk a little bit more about Canva itself. So, could you tell us what's it like working for a company like Canva? Canva is wonderful. It's so driven, so ambitious. Um, which means we move incredibly fast. That's both exciting um, and also like takes a lot of coordination and a lot of effort. The good thing about that though is we managed to stay ahead of the curve on a lot of things or even completely leapfrog the curve. Um, we're so ambitious. Um, it's a saying of if you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, take it. And Canva is the rocket ship. Uh, feeling in the culture though within the company everyone is so genuine and so kind um, and we have like cultures and values of being good humans and to do the most good in the world so it's very exciting that you're leading the way in terms of technology and products but you can 
often see the fact that the company as a whole is trying to add value to the world. Um, so it's, I've never worked in a company that has managed to balance both so well. Like, um, there's something I always see on YouTube. It's always like a day in the life as a software developer at Google. And it's always these games rooms and like sleeping pods everywhere and free food. Could you like maybe delve into maybe what's the working environment like at Canva? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think it's the concept of you, you do get a lot of these benefits in a lot of companies, but also if you're passionate and wanting to kind of improve yourself and improve the company, then you're also going to be putting in the massive effort um, for that reward as well. So Canva has an amazing environment. We've got the Vibe team who needs so much life and energy and hard work into making our environment um, such a wonderful place to be, which is probably when uh, a situation hit, made it harder for a lot of people to have to step away from that office environment. We have, at the moment, in Surrey Hills, we have a few different working spaces. Our main building has, like, the uh, rooftop, which is lovely and relaxing and has barbecues and a great hangout space. We have, like, the cafe bar, and we do communal lunches uh, during the day. And we have most things to cater our needs. Um, not quite the extreme of Google, who will do, like, your washing and things, but I think that's more of a ploy for them to keep you in the office, maybe. Yeah. Um, whereas Canva, we, we definitely try and encourage people to have uh, relationships, healthy lifestyles. Like, all of our cooking is done very healthily. We have fruit around the office, and we even have um, our health and fitness programs. We encourage people to work out together. It's, we're, we're trying to do the balance as much as we can, but appreciating that we all want to put in a lot of uh, blood, sweat and tears because we're so passionate about Canva. Do you think um, for maybe people who are just starting out in the tech industry and especially companies that are just starting out, do you think these sort of things are sort of vital to firstly entice workers to keep motivated and keep working? Or do you think it's just the person themselves that motivates themselves? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, I know there's a lot of uh, opinions around this across uh, all of the internet and the globe of are we giving people too much privilege? Are we giving people stuff that um, isn't required for them to be able to do a good job? I think we've definitely raised the bar across the industry in terms of there's some things that are just the new normal. And as long as people come to that with humility and appreciation, and don't just expect those things. Um, yeah, and like, if, if I ever worked with someone, and thankfully this does not exist at Canva, where they threw a tantrum because they didn't get their free lunch, <laughs> um, that's, that's maybe taking a bit too far. Yeah. But I definitely think there's an expectation now on employers that you have to, if you want the top talent, you have to treat them well. Um, don't keep all the profits to yourself share some of that and make the work environment they're in like a really great place to be because you spend a lot of time there. So Canva was probably one of the biggest growing startups. What's it like working for a startup that started so small well, it's, but is now... It's still rapidly growing. It is still rapidly growing, yeah. But what's it like starting at a startup and seeing how quickly it's growing and how quick it's, how big it's become and how much bigger it's going to get? Uh, it is remarkable. So it's 
I've definitely been at startups uh, in the past. This is not my first startup um, where I've seen this rapid growth and it's remarkable and you have that adjustment where the company you first joined is not necessarily the company you're still at. The difference with Canva though is the speed is even faster than anything I've seen before. And we're still managing to maintain that culture and that same feeling. Like the company I joined when it was 300 people still feels like the company I'm in now when we're um, almost at a thousand. And it's exciting. You're constantly kind of realizing there's big gaps in the hiring that you need. So um, you've literally filled a role and then you realize you need another two. So yeah. we thankfully have an amazing recruitment team um, who really support us in that. It is something that, um, especially as you kind of lead out a whole area, you need to constantly think about not just what people are doing, but how you scale that and how you manage the growth we're going through. You mentioned that when uh, you started the company, it was about 300 people and it still feels the same now. Do you, do you have any reasoning behind that or explanation why that could be? Yeah, I think there's three clear reasons. There's um, the founders themselves the company values they are constantly still like keeping the structure relatively flat we still see them on a daily basis and they're very involved uh, the other reason or two reasons one again is the the values that were defined a few years ago um, are constantly reiterated so everyone is like thinking about them believing in them being them and then any new people that come in the board come on board or taking on that journey with them. So it's, uh, and we're also doing like very good culture fit hiring. Then the third piece is definitely around the Vibe team again, who their every day is uh, extremely passionate of making sure that we uphold our values and the way we're working and the, the company is existing. So um, one thing I've experienced personally is when I was working for a small startup, um, one thing our company really stressed was the company culture. It was, it felt as if the company culture was more important than what we were doing and the profit we were making. We were just a small like school team and we were just like starting a business and just to experience it. And we stressed the company culture so much. Um, like even though we barely made any profit, I think we made $20 profit or something like that. But we had such a strong company culture that um, we got recognized a lot more than the teams that were making hundreds and hundreds of dollars of profit. Do you think company culture is something that is vital nowadays? And is just, if you don't have company culture, your company cannot progress? Um, I wouldn't say it doesn't progress. There's definite companies that exist out there that aren't necessarily cultures I would agree with and are making a lot of profit. Um, but I do think a big part of your success is the people you hire and good people are drawn to good cultures. So I think if you're interviewing at places, um, make sure you have that culture fit because it's more important than you will ever realize. Um, and you don't want to be in a job where we all want to make loads of money, but you don't want to be in a job where you're making loads of money if you're unhappy or questioning the values of those around you. Yeah. And um, we mentioned before lightly about COVID and how it's really affected you. Do you think Canvas handed it well in terms of transitioning? And I know now we're loosening up again, but do you think that initial phase when everyone was in a lot of panic and there's a lot of just, everyone was just really concerned about what their future looked like? Do you think Canva ha hand 
Do you think Canva handled that well? I do think Canva handled it remarkably well. Um, obviously, very biased because I'm part of the company, but yeah. the, the two things that uh, Canva made sure of was, number one, all the employees were okay. And we made sure everyone was safe, all their families were safe. We made sure everyone was set up for success for working at home. And then secondly, what we tried to do is reach out to other companies, to non-for-profits, to schools. And we actually helped create like worksheets for students. Um, we, we tried to do a lot being fully aware that a lot of the rest of the world was uh, struggling, trying to figure out what we could do to support that. So our workload actually increased um, when we started working from home because we were trying to do all these uh, campaigns and supporting that we hadn't actually planned uh, to do. That's amazing. Um, yeah, so I guess stepping back in time, so you're at Canva now, but one of your first jobs we know uh, when you graduated from uni was uh, at JP Morgan. So you were a software <laughs> developer there. You maybe want to discuss sort of what it was like doing engineering work for, for JP Morgan? Yeah. It, uh, it, would I go back to investment banking right now? Probably not. I'm super glad I had the experience. Absolutely. Uh, for many reasons. JP Morgan, I actually did their internship while I was in between my uh, final years at the university. It was kind of like what you see on The Apprentice. Um, <laughs> we had to do like these huge interviews just to get on the internship and then throughout the internship, which ran the entire summer. We constantly had like challenges and projects and then we all got ranked at the end and then the top uh, cohort got offered jobs, which was lovely. It was a very stressful summer. Uh, then when I started on the graduate scheme, uh, everyone else apart from engineering did six months within certain roles so that they could kind of move around the business and learn. But with engineering, um, it takes about six months to ramp up into a role so it wouldn't make sense to move on so the engineering graduates actually did a year and a half um, in each position and it was massively beneficial you figured out how to work with people who had worked in huge legacy systems right down to small bespoke uh, MVPs that were going out for the company learn about how these big organizations work learn about things like Chinese walls. I even had to do uh, trading training down in London. Um, massively beneficial. I also had to go through the wonderful experience of being on call and woken up in the middle of the night. Oh, people, people telling you how much money was getting lost every minute. Um, all, all of this massively added to my experience and the amount of different uh, personalities I learned from that as well. They helped shape who I wanted to be, the, the people I admired, maybe the people I didn't want to evolve into being, um, was was all part of my journey. And I think they're so highly organized that I would never say, like, drop your nose to it. Um, also, like, startup versus uh, corporate, they all have their pros and cons. Yep. So you said you, uh, would you say you worked quite closely with the traders uh, as, a, as an engineer? Was you, you worked, you know, with other teams, but did you work close with the, yeah. the traders, yeah? Yeah, so we had uh, engineers and what are called business analysts. And the mm -hmm. business analysts, um, some of these roles exist, some of you may know what they are, but 
I would say that's closer to um, product or a project manager where they figure out all the requirements um, and pass it on to the engineers. And then we yeah, had to go down uh, and be on the floor with people, see how they're using the software, talk to them and get feedback. Um, and also they would be on calls giving us requirements of the next piece of software or um, how a piece of software had to be extended to meet their their current needs or needs of how things were evolving within the industry. So obviously like it's an investment bank. So I guess like the analysts are sort of might be a bit, would you say like engineers and analysts, are they both equally uh, valued? Was it, there was no sort of, um, you know, divi- uh, I guess gap or division between uh, the, the, the two parties, I guess? You, you felt like you were part, of, a part uh, of the team? I'd say you're part of the team, I think, especially when you start out any role you're in you will say your role is the most valuable <laughs> so the engineers probably all considered the engineers to be the most valuable yeah. and the analysts probably thought they were the most valuable uh, what i would say was in that environment the engineers were definitely far more technical mm-hmm. and the analysts tended to come from um, maybe they'd done a split degree and half was engineering and half was something else so they weren't always the the extreme programmers right and uh you said right at the beginning that you were very glad that you had this experience in an investment bank but you'd never return sort of what's what's the reason (laughs) behind there any any particular reason or motivation never say never right yeah yep uh i never thought i'd move to australia and (laughs) here i am and absolutely loving it but uh what I did notice stepping out of investment banking was how much red tape there was and also how much um, many, how much things can slow down because of the environment and because of the structure of a company. Um, so I definitely think uh, there's definitely benefits of being in a smaller, more agile environment. That said, obviously investment banks come with like clear frameworks and with that legacy comes a lot of uh, good historical things as well. So never, uh, never dismiss one over the other. But I think for now, I'm quite happy to be away from that environment. But you never know. Fast forward 10 years time, I might be back in there. Would you say like Canva is sort of being a startup, being a, a fast growing company, this was quite different to JP Morgan, obviously. Um, would you say like the, the culture? Yeah. I would, I would say everything is different. I think if I'd gone from investment banking to Canva, I might have had more of a shock to the system. Mm-hmm. But I had a, a few steps in between that. So um, I was quite used to the startup environment. One of the clear differences for me was, or an indicator of difference, um, investment banking, they try and have what they call a town hall, where they get all the employees together um, or all even just that one business unit together, which might be a large number of people to share information and updates. And these usually take a lot of coordination and tend to happen once a year. Canva has the equivalent of a town hall every single Tuesday. Oh, wow. There's 900 of us on a call. So <laughs> that, that kind of, kind of shows you the difference of uh, how much being agile is really played to your advantage. <laughs> um, I think one of the things you mentioned was there's a lot of steps to get to uh, to get to Canva from JP Morgan. I think one of the biggest things I see on your LinkedIn um, is Skyscanner, where you worked almost 
almost four and a half years at. And that's where I see that you really got into project management and being maybe like stepping away from the software developing side. Do you think Sky's kind of really pushed you towards that or was that something um, you really found yourself enjoying when you moved to Skyscanner? Um, I did really enjoy it. I think the surprise for me was um, prior to Skyscanner, I was doing project management um, in a very new sense, but also in a very traditional sense. So um, before that, I was at Barclays Wealth, um, which is a, an investment bank in the UK. And the classic project management of you have all your work breakdown structure, you have your huge Gantt charts, uh, you're sending out loads of PowerPoint slides to all the different stakeholders, you're managing budgets really tightly. Um, I then moved to Skyscanner under the same title, but it was by no means in the same role. So immediately when I joined Skyscanner, I was working with all of their flights engineering teams. Um, and I had to just jump in. I was now looking back, pretty much doing the, the product role. Um, but I was coordinating, working with them on launches and releases and even like figuring out what their bugs were, figuring out how they were working and operating and how we could improve that, uh, being in all their sprint planning. So I immediately just jumped into that world and it was uh, a very big learning curve because they were also moving very fast at the time. I think it had the same title of project management, but it was definitely not the same as it exists in investment banking. Which is good. I'm happy with that. Would you say that um, project management changes significantly from company to company? Yes. I mean, the, the fundamentals are still the same. I would say in relation to other roles, it probably changes the most. You can have ones that are like very strict, um, as I said, like Gantt charts, budgets, stuff that down to that granular details, not necessarily what I like enjoy massively. And yeah, in startup environments, I think that's where it's really important that you understand what the role involves and not just the title. Because the title can just be what that meaning is to that individual that wrote that job description. Yeah. And I think one thing I've like really noticed is that you've been living in different places, um, started off in Glasgow and then a bit of work in London, then uh, Miami, then Spain and now Australia. Do you think the physical location and moving places affected you a lot or was that something you just quickly got used to and things like that? Mm, that's a very good question. And without a doubt, they affected me. I don't think you can live in another culture and it not affect you. I think work-wise, it helped with my communication. Yeah. Um, even simple things like being on a call today and we were talking about spring then teams in Australia, uh, in America, sorry, are saying, oh, you mean fall? <laughs> and other people are like, what's fall? Do you mean autumn? Like silly little things like that all contribute, they all add up. Um, seeing how different teams work around the world is also fascinating. Even though it's only slight nuances, um, you still have the culture mix, different processes, different things they've learned even right from like universities into businesses. It's, it's definitely impacted me in a very positive way. Did you ever see yourself moving across the globe for work? <laughs> um, I, yeah, I was working in Skyscanner at the time and I was asked to move to Miami. Um, 
was absolutely wonderful. Went over there. We had a lot to figure out in new offices that had opened up there. And then um, every, everything else has happened in the same way. My career has happened in a great way. Like I've always strived to grow and learn and develop and I always try and push myself to be better. Um, and with that has come these really wonderful opportunities. So, um, in Miami, I then got offered a role working for a company that happened to be in Barcelona. So I'm going to move there and figure that out and learn some Spanish along the way. Um, and then it just so happened while I was working in Barcelona, um, I was working with someone who was related to one of the founders of Canva. And so then started talking with them and that's how I moved to Australia. Um, you mentioned briefly that you um, moved to Spain and you had to learn a bit of Spanish. Do you think there was a big language barrier there or was it um, a lot of English speaking as well still? Um, I think depending on the companies you work in and if the city itself is quite metropolitan, um, the countries that can speak English still astounds me. Um, as a, a native English speaker, I'm kind of embarrassed anytime I, I speak to someone that has such good English um, as a second language. But it's definitely, I think it will for always be a barrier because you'll have certain things that are like misunderstandings or even you don't realize how many sayings and uh, analogies and things that we have are very rooted in our cultures. Um, but you overcome these things and the power of a relationship is extremely strong, both in business and personal life. I think it's always something you can overcome. You just have to be really aware of it. And um not to like go back too quickly, but like because of uh, coronavirus and maybe because you've been living in other places, you have to collaborate with other teams. How important do you think it is to understand uh, maybe etiquette when it comes to virtual teams and having that strong communication? How do you develop those sort of things? Yeah, part of it is developing it through experience. Um, and part of it is through thinking to ask the question, like ask the other teams how they like to work ask individuals if there's anything that you should know about their teams or people on their team um, some of it is etiquette in terms of um, you'll be able to know like doing stuff over video calls knowing when to speak knowing when to sit back trying to be inclusive um, and other parts of it are culture like some cultures um, struggle more at understanding faster accents other people do or some cultures don't like to speak up and interrupt to try and jump in with their opinion because it's considered rude so just being aware of these like someone on a call may be quiet and it's maybe not because they're good or shy or have nothing important to say it might just be their culture and uh, you mentioned before how like you may have a call with like a number of people how do you kind of manage that because um, it may be easy when it's just three or four of you in a call discussing something, but when that number gets bigger and bigger, it's harder to ensure that everyone is included and everyone has um, is able to voice what they want to say. How do you manage that in terms of a virtual environment? A few different things. So always try and start a call with introductions, even if there's only one new person on a call that's never been there before. I'm always try and have someone who owns the meeting and is leading it because then if there's silences or it's not going in the direction and um, they'll kind of pull it back make sure you've got an agenda so everyone understands why they're spending all that time together and what the outcome is intended to be 
and then you'll know if your time was successful or not. Um, and then also making sure that you ask people's opinion if you're noticing they're not speaking up and maybe they are the expert in that area. And then just ask them, don't necessarily wait for someone to speak up or there to be a big break in the, the silence. It's, it takes takes a little bit of practice, but um, you get the knack of it quite quick. Um, as a global lead, I'm, I'm sure you're working in multiple different teams, potentially at the same time or at different times involving different people from different backgrounds. How do you, like maybe this relates more to in-person teams and things like that, but how do you develop those interpersonal relationships on a quick basis? Because you're team dynamic is always changing and the people in your teams are always changing. How do you ensure that the team firstly has that common goal and stays motivated when it's so dynamic? Yeah, so on a one-to-one -one basis, I try and make sure um, huge groups like, do I know everyone's name? Do I know the role they're playing? Have I made that connection and actually said hello? Because that's really, really important. Um, on a team dynamic basis, before you start anything, you should always make sure the entire team is bought into why you're all there, why you're putting in all that effort. Um, so you really have to kick off a project or a product or even if it's something small and trivial with what's the purpose here? Why are we doing this instead of something else? Why does it really matter? Because if people understand that and also get the opportunity to debate that, because that's also important, um, then they will stay motivated, they'll do their best work. Um, and if you've got those relationships, then they can keep up the conversations of if things aren't going well, or they think they've got a better idea of how we approach something. So maybe let's talk in the perspective of a student now, how would you advise a student to maybe get that first step in the door and maybe push themselves forward to more getting closer to achieving their goal or getting that job at that company that they've always wanted to? How do you think everyone should get their foot in the door. I think it's make sure you do your research. So do you know the role you're applying for? Do you know that company? And can you really prove it? There's nothing worse than speaking to someone, whether it's a student or someone with 20, 30 years experience, and they have no real idea who the company is. Um, it's yeah. like they just picked your job at random online. So do your homework, do your research. Try and connect the skills you have to the skills that a company needs, um, or at least demonstrate how you're going to work towards that. Um, and then, it's cliche as well, but kind of go above and beyond, like always push yourself. People will notice that. They'll notice if you're trying hard, if you've done that extra research, if you've course or read that extra blog post, um, people appreciate it. And, um... We, you touched on it briefly as a start about finding your niche and whatnot, but for students who are in university now, who maybe they know they want to be somewhere in the software development field or somewhere in the software engineering field, and they just, they know they want to be in that field, but they're not sure specifically what they want to do. Like, what would you tell them to do? I'd say approach everything with honesty and humility. If you're going up to businesses and saying, look, I want to come in because I want to learn from you and I want to learn as much as possible, then it doesn't matter that you're not coming in and saying, I want to do this specific role in this specific space, because that might not also be what the company or the team needs. Um, so yeah, just approach it with the fact that you're 
you're learning and you will continue to learn forever and ever. I'm still learning absolutely every day. Don't come in thinking you know it all because maybe the niche that you think it uh, you want to move into isn't actually the right thing for you. I think one thing um, I experienced a lot with my friends and stuff was they panicked a lot about being unsure what they wanted to do. And it was just a lot of, they were very clouded in, sen- in terms of what they wanted to do and they couldn't really see themselves pursuing any specific career. And I, I feel like that's a lot of university students. They may put themselves into a degree and halfway through they realize this isn't for me and they change and they change and they change. Do you think, I, I personally tell them that they shouldn't be panicked and it takes time to understand what you're going to do. But what are your thoughts on students who are really like pushing themselves and making themselves feel nervous and panicked? Don't put so much pressure on yourself. I completely appreciate how hard it is. And um, right from high school, you're kind of told you need to know what subjects you're going to pick and what degree you're going to do and what job you're going to do. Some people get asked when they're like five years old what job they're going to do. Nobody really knows. There's some adults that still don't know. Um, But I think being aware that the path you pick right now doesn't dictate the path that you're going to end up on and that's that can be a good thing or a bad thing the people I did degrees with at uni were all doing a variety of different roles and not all of us are even in the tech industry but we're doing everything from product management to analysis to security roles and right through to banking and accounting so don't don't put too much pressure on yourself just find something you really enjoy Because if you find something you're passionate about, then you'll excel. Awesome. I think like just as a final question, um, you're very accomplished. You've done a lot in your career. And I guess if you had a time machine and you could go back to your first year university self, you'd maybe, you know, a bit bit anxious or maybe a bit, um, you know, worried about what the future might look like. What would you tell them? What's, What's a good piece of advice you think you'd give to them, your first year self? I would say... Question. Um... I would say don't be scared about picking stuff up because the more you do it, the easier it gets. Mm-hmm. I know I was really nervous anytime they threw a new programming language at us um, and I would shy away. Whereas actually if I just jumped in and kind of hid myself in a room and got going, then I adapted to it really, really quickly and I wondered what I was worrying about. Um, and the other thing would be don't put things off. I spent more time worrying about projects that were due than actually doing them. Uh, yep. um, the, there is, I can't remember the name of the law, you guys probably know, but there is the law uh, that basically says a task will take the amount of time that's given to it. That's why mm-hmm. people usually only do their projects when the deadline's due. Yep. Um, whereas if I uh, had the time machine, I would probably tell myself that the deadline was much earlier than it actually was. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, that wraps up sort of everything we wanted to discuss. Um, thank you so much for, for coming and coming on the podcast and talking with us. Um, yeah, we Thanks really for enjoyed having it. me. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, just really enjoyed talking to you and, and sort of picking your brain and seeing you know how you got to where you are today. So yeah, uh, that wraps up the uh, episode, guys. Uh, thanks so much for watching. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this industry podcast episode. Right. Thank you guys so much for listening. All right. All right. Awesome. I'll, we'll see you guys uh, next time. Thank you so much, Laura. Oh, thank, you. thank you. Thank you so much. Fun, fun discussion. No, thank you. That was good fun.